That was the Covenant Presbyterian Church in Nashville singing the doxology as we did earlier this morning. And that was the Sunday after three children and three adults were murdered at their school on campus. And I thought it was a fitting tribute of how Christ followers, we don't raise our fists toward heaven and say, how could you? Rather, we raise our voices to heaven and cry, how long, O Lord? And so we praise him in season and out of season. We lift our voices to him. The Covenant Presbyterian Church and the Covenant School experienced a nightmare two weeks ago as a um, active shooter walked on campus, shot shot up the glass doors, entered the school, and when when all was said and done, uh, three adults and three children were murdered. What lies ahead for the church and the school and families and the pastoral staff and that community is a long road that no one, and I mean no one, would ever want to travel. A whole host of emotions will remain and God's grace will be needed as they work through anger and grief and pain and confusion and sorrows untold. And while the horrific display of evil takes our breath away, we must admit that such pain is the storyline of history. How many school shootings have we heard of in the last 20 years? And it can lead to despair. And I was thinking of the setting in Revelation chapter one. Would you open your Bibles there? If you have a prayer slip or visitor slip, if you'd pass it to the aisle, Paul and Will will pick those up. We'll pray for you this week. At the heart of the gospel of Jesus Christ is that he experienced all the world had to offer. Friday's cross was a predetermined appointment for the sinless Son of, Son of God in which he suffered despair even. Maybe you'll remember uh, the cry from the cross, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? In his significant book, The Cross of Christ, John Stott wrote, I could never myself believe in God if it were not for the cross. In the real world of pain, how could one worship a God who is immune to it? That is the wonder of, uh, of, of the life, death, and burial uh, and resurrection of Jesus Christ is that he experienced pain. He took our sin in himself. And so Christianity is built on these truths that God created the world, that he guides and sustains this world, that it, in his divine son, Jesus Christ, he entered the world and this Jesus lived a perfect, perfect life and nearly 2,000 years ago died a once-for-all sacrificial death in order to pay for our sins, was placed in a borrowed tomb and three days later rose from the dead. And in his parting words after his resurrection, he appeared to his disciples for 40 days and gave them an assignment to go into all the world and preach the gospel and that message is reached even into this room right now. He's alive forevermore. So there you have it. That is a summary of God's redemption recorded in the Bible. That is the message we're called to preach. You mean every year? Yeah, every year. I read something interesting this week that uh, uh, many come to church on Christmas and Easter, if for nothing else, a longing to hear those old stories. That there really is truth in this world. They get fed up with the cynicism, the unbelief, 
the stark evil that we see every day in the news line, if not in our own lives. And we need to be reminded, is there anyone on the throne? Yes, there's someone on the throne who's conquered sin, death, and the grave. And we point you to Jesus Christ. The wonder of the Christian gospel is that we dare to believe that there will be unspeakable comfort, unexplained hope, and unquenchable light, the unquenchable light of God's countenance to those who suffer. Jesus promised that in this world we would suffer tribulation. He said that in his parting word, words to the disciples in the upper room. That in the world you will have tribulation. Be of good cheer, I've overcome the world. We have a life to live, a death to die, a judgment to face, and we gather here today to say Jesus Christ is our hope as we face all of these. The Apostle John needed a reminder of that. What do you mean? John was the Apostle whom Jesus loved. John placed his head on the bosom of Jesus. John was at the cross where everyone else fled. He was a unique disciple. He was called the disciple of love. And he was the only disciple or apostle that we're led to believe was not martyred. All the others were. And so we're 60 years removed from the resurrection, roughly. John has seen so many things in his life. Um, A far jump from the fisherman trade. And so... Our text on this Resurrection Sunday takes us to the island of Patmos, where John is there. The island of Patmos, and we know he's there. Every time I read that, I think, okay, it's in the Mediterranean. It's 10 miles long and 6 miles wide. He's not there on a vacation. Amen. He's there because of his witness for Jesus Christ. It's a, it's a banishment. It's, a, it's an imprisonment. It's a house arrest on this rock. He's an old man. He's not running anywhere, but he has to wonder, are all the promises of Jesus true? All my fellow apostles are dead. Are the promises and claims of Jesus Christ, can they be relied upon? Lord, are you there? Have you ever said that? (laughs) Lord, are you there? I need you, Lord. And did the Lord ever come to John in Revelation 1? He comes to John with a vision of who he is. And when we read the book of Revelation, maybe you have thoughts about that, that this isn't a real practical book. I think it could be one of the most practical in the New Testament. Difficult to interpret, granted, but I mean, it communicates this message loud and clear. He's sovereign. He's victorious. If you're in him, you win. You're not in him, you lose. It's an apocalypse, it's a a prophecy, it's a letter. It was written to seven churches of Asia Minor, written to real people who had issues. And these issues we see displayed today, issues of compromise, issues of idolatry, issues of lukewarmness. All of these are presented. It was written to real people. The church, and John is... He's seen so much. John was the last of the apostles. He was old and, and he's seen many atrocities in the span of his life. He saw the destruction of Jerusalem where cities were sacked and destroyed with a casualty list of millions of Jews slaughtered by the Romans. He had seen 985 towns and villages leveled 
And so any hope of a messianic kingdom seemed like a pipe dream. Plain and simply, John needed a word. John needed a vision. And he did receive one on the Isle of Patmos. And his vision recorded in Scripture is God's word to us today. So when all seems lost, when all hope seems lost, see John on that island. See John in need of the Lord to speak to him and how Christ came to him. And that speaks to us even today. When all hope seems lost, Jesus Christ is alive forevermore. On this Easter resurrection morning, would you consider Jesus with me for a few moments? Is that even a biblical thought? Well, yeah, the writer of Hebrews says, consider Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith, the apostle of our faith. Would you consider him as the one you listen to above all other voices? Would you consider him as the one you follow over all other influences? Would you consider Jesus as the one you trust with your soul? Would you consider him as the one that you live for Would you consider him as the only one you would worship? He is worthy of it all. So I'd like to break down, if you have the insert, I think we got four this morning. I want to begin with consider who he is. Consider who he is. John receives a vision on the island of Patmos that leaves no doubt who Jesus Christ is. The Gospels give us one portrait of the testimony of Jesus. When Jesus came... 2,000 years ago, when he was born to Mary, the angel Gabriel said to Mary, you will conceive in your womb and bear a son and you will name him Jesus. He will be great. At his baptism, heaven spoke, this is my beloved son in whom I'm well pleased. Never a man spoke like this man, it was said of him in his earthly ministry. The multitudes were amazed at his teaching, for he was teaching as one having authority, not like the scribes and the Pharisees. In John 7, excuse me, in Mark 7, verse 37, he has done all things well. He makes even the deaf deaf to hear and the dumb to speak. At the Mount of Transfiguration, where in a moment of time he was transfigured before Peter, James, and John, and heaven spoke again, this is my beloved son, listen to him. Throughout his ministry, he demonstrated that he was rich in love and slow to anger, that his name was great and that his heart was kind. In Luke 9.51, it says at, at a critical moment in his earthly ministry that he resolutely set his face to go to Jerusalem. He predicted his death and declared that this was the purpose of his coming. He loved big, he sacrificed greatly, he died with outstretched arms, And he rose again from the dead, just as he said he would. Jesus was the most important person who has ever lived. Human history literally divides at his coming, at his birth into B.C., before Christ, and before Christ, A.D., Anno Domini, the year of our Lord. And we're talking of a man of whom more songs have been sung, more books have been written, more artwork has been commissioned than anyone else who's ever lived or ever will live. And today, we as Christians gather with a few billion others to declare the excellencies of his name. And those who love Jesus and those who don't agree on this one fact that in all of human history, no one has made a difference like Jesus Christ. H.G. Wells, 
the noted historian was honest. He said, I'm a historian. I'm not a believer, he said. I'm not a believer. But I must confess as a historian that this penniless preacher from Nazareth is irrevocably the very center of history. Jesus Christ is easily the most dominant figure in all of history. The issue is, is he the dominant figure of your life? Have you received him for who he is? Do you see that his coming was to gather a people that would be among the number of those who would worship him forever? So back to Revelation 1. The Apostle John receives a revelation on this rock in the Mediterranean. And he identifies him. Look at verse 5. It says, and from Jesus Christ, this revelation from Jesus Christ, the faithful witness... John identifies him as the faithful witness of the true God who sent him to to earth. Jesus said, he who has seen me has seen the Father. The faithful witness who is truth. And there's a a Trinitarian interchange here all through uh, this first chapter where we see the Father who is the one who is, who always was, and who is to come. We see this, the Holy Spirit as the sevenfold Spirit communicating His perfection and completeness. And we see the Son, Jesus Christ, one God, three persons. It says in verse 5 that He was the firstborn of the dead. That means that He died and was the first one to be raised from the dead, never to die again. You'll remember in John 11, he called Lazarus from the tomb. There were a number of occasions he raised the dead in his earthly ministry, but all of them, all of these died, ultimately died. Jesus Christ rose from the dead, never to die again. Appeared to the disciples for 40 days and ascended into heaven where he sits at the right hand of the throne of God. It says in verse 5 that he's the ruler of the kings of the earth. Well, what kind of kingdom? I mean, I, we, we, we can't locate a geographical boundary where he reigns. Those who have eyes of faith, we see that he reigns over all. And we're commanded to seek first his kingdom. And one day, our faith will be made sight. But he reigns now in the hearts of men and women. He reigns over his creation. And it's, bringing, it, it's being brought to a completion in Christ. When he returns, he will be recognized for all will bow before him. He will return visible. Look at verse 7. Would you take in this verse for a moment? John's saying, behold, he's coming. He's coming back. He's coming again. It's amazing just to read the Bible, how how many times it mentions in the New Testament, he's, he's coming back. Behold, he's coming with with the clouds, and every eye will see him. His first coming was in obscurity. He was born in a manger, in a backwater city called Bethlehem. But when he comes back again, every eye will see him, even those who pierced him. And all the tribes of the earth will wail on account of him. Even so, amen. He's coming back to judge. And the issue on that day will be, am I found complete in him? He's coming back in the clouds, John writes. 
I remember years ago hearing a sermon by Jerry Vines. And he tells the story about this children's home in Kentucky for special needs kids. And they would have chapel services at this children's home. And one time they brought in a pastor who taught on the second coming, that Jesus was going to come in the clouds and every eye would see him. And after that, these special needs children were found looking up into the sky regularly throughout the day. In fact, the janitor said, I can't keep the windows clean because they're always looking up into the clouds. You say, that's ridiculous. There's work to be done. Uh, but there's, uh, there's time, there ought to be time for gazing into the clouds. When that sun rises in the east, it should, be, it should flow from our heart. Lord, could it be today? Would you come today? Would I be found doing your work today? I pray so. It says in verse 8, he's the Alpha and the Omega. Those are, that's the first and the last letter in the Greek alphabet. The Lord is the beginning and the end. The eternal Lord of the past, the present, the future. In verses 10 and 11, John says, On the Lord's day, I was worshiping in the Spirit, in spirit and in truth. So it's not like he had given up his faith. That's not the picture at all. He just needed the Lord to come, like we all need him to come, to remind us who we are in Christ and the promises that God has given. And he was worshiping on the Lord's day. By the way, that's a good place to be when you want to hear from God. Worshiping. He says, John heard a trumpet blast and the trumpet heralds the return of Christ in scripture. And John was commanded to write down what he saw in this revelation. And one of the things we see in verse 13 was he makes this reference to the son of man, which may not mean much to us, but to the Jew, it meant a lot. It was a reference back to Daniel 7 and this Messiah, the Messiah who would come as the Son of Man, who would reign. And so, would you consider who He is? Is your Jesus this big that would cause you to bow before Him? I pray so. You would see Him and receive Him. Notice with me secondly, consider what He's done Go back to verse 5. I was thinking um, the church has been so supportive with uh, my book that came out last year. And uh, I really appreciate your um, support, not only in giving birth to it, but actually many of you, your kind words. And I was thinking, you know, back when I was writing it, how do, who do I want to dedicate this to? And I couldn't think of anything better than Revelation 1.5 to him who loves us and has freed us from our sins by his blood. What a great statement that is. He came from heaven to earth. He lived a sinless life. His death was unique in that it bore a burden. I heard it expressed like this recently, that Jesus was crucified so that you and your sins could be crucified with him. Jesus was crucified and nailed to a cross so that you and your sins could be crucified with him. Jesus was buried so that you and your sins could be buried with him. And Jesus rose from the dead so that you and not your sins could come out of the grave. Come back from the dead with him and in him. World without end, forever and ever. World without end. So come and welcome to Jesus Christ. In Revelation 5, 
Turn with me a couple pages. Revelation 5.10. When we consider what he's done in heaven, this is what they sing. Picking up in verse, let's back up to nine. There's this new song, one of God's redemptive work. Worthy are you to take the scroll, to open its seals, for you were slain, and by your blood you ransomed people for God from every tribe and language and people and nation. This is what he's done. Let me just ask you, in reading the Bible here, are you among that number? Are you among that number who has been ransomed? Saved? Redeemed? Trusting in Christ alone? I pray so. He has done much that at the right time, while we were still helpless, Christ died for the ungodly. Notice with me thirdly, consider what he promised. John would record in his gospel many staggering promises of Jesus. All who receive him to them, he gave the right to become sons of God. All who come to Christ, he will in no way cast out. You come to him, he will not cast you out. Don't come to barter and to negotiate. Come on his terms. Anyone who comes on his terms, he will in no way cast you out. If we abide in him and his word abides in us, we can ask whatever we wish and it will be done for us. And John concluded his gospel with this promise, this statement. This book was written so that you may believe that Jesus is the Son of God and that by believing you might have life in his name. How do we receive this life? It's by faith. It's by calling on the name of the Lord. Lord Jesus, I acknowledge my sin, my rebellion, my commandment breaking has severed a relationship with you. You are what I need most. I turn from that and I receive fully what Jesus has done for me as my only hope. And in this vision, back in Revelation 1, He, from verses 9 to 16, he sees a, a vision of what Christ has done and what he promises. He's ascended into heaven, and it says that he's walking among his lampstand. What's that? What, what's the lampstand? We learn from Revelation that um, the lampstand is, is the church. He's walking among his church. The Lord Jesus Christ is walking among his lampstand. It, it goes on to say that, that he is clothed in a long robe, speaking of his priestly work on our behalf. He is in heaven forever making intercession for us. And John identifies him in this vision. He sees him in this vision that in verse 14, that his hair is white like wool, like snow. And this speaks to his purity and to his holiness and to his power and to his authority. His eyes are like flames of fire. This sounds unsettling. It's symbolic to communicate the weight of who he is. Think for a moment, the Lord Jesus Christ, he has eyes like flames of fire. He's looking into his church. That means with his penetrating gaze, he sees into your life and mine. He sees into the affairs of this world with absolute precision and is worthy of us bowing before him. He knows what's going on in your heart and in mine. He knows the thoughts that we say or the, the thoughts even in our mind. He knows the words that we say even before we speak them. 
Psalm 139 tells us. Notice his voice. The voice was like the roar of many waters. You ever heard a waterfall? It becomes deafening when you come, to the, when you come near it. His, author, his voice is authoritative. Would you consider that true for you? That when you hear his voice, well, I don't, I'm, I'm not on the island of Patmos. I'm not likely to have a vision like this ever. And I would probably say never. This is authoritative and written in scripture. It is authoritative for us. But he speaks through his word, friends. He speaks through his word. Would you consider what he has promised? Who he is and what he's promised through the many offerings of scripture. His promises are of such depth to give you the surest foundation you could ever know. Notice with me fourthly, and we'll close with this. Consider what your response will be. Consider what your response will be. Look at John's response in verse 17. When I saw him, I gave him a big high five. I had coffee and donuts with him. No, John, and he and Jesus went way back. He fell at his feet as a dead man. He fell at his feet like a dead man. This was a common response for those who experienced God's presence. Isaiah experienced that in Isaiah 6. Woe is me, for I'm ruined because I'm a man of unclean lips. And here John experienced the devastation of seeing him and the rightful response to bow before him. John MacArthur writes, in stark contrast to the silly, frivolous, false, and boastful claims of many in our own day who claim to have seen God, the reaction of those in Scripture who genuinely saw God was inevitably one of fear. Those brought face to face with the blazing holy glory of the Lord Jesus Christ are terrified, realizing their sinful unworthiness to be in His holy presence. Summarizing the proper response to God's holiness and majesty, the writer of Hebrews exhorts believers, offer to God an acceptable service with reverence and awe, for our God is a consuming fire. But the story doesn't end there. John fell at his feet as a dead man, but notice what the living Christ did to him. He laid his hand, his right hand on me, saying, fear not, I am the first and the last, the living one. I died and behold, I'm alive forevermore. So John responded in fear, but he also received comfort. He also received comfort. Christ said to him, I'm alive forevermore. Do you think that's true? 21 centuries removed from that event? I sure do. We have sensed his presence with us. His spirit bears witness with our spirit that, he, uh, that we are his children and we stand on his promises in a world of sinking sand. He comes to us in our fears. Jack Vincent, years ago I read his testimony as a missionary to China and he was held up by a, a bandit, a, bandit um, a criminal in uh, Asia. And the hoodlum put a gun to his head and said, are you afraid? I'm going to kill you. And Jack Vincent responded, afraid of what I was, uh, afraid of what? I was just going to be with God. 
and Vincent was killed. The criminal pulled the trigger. E.H. Hamilton was a fellow missionary who learned, he learned of this tragedy and he wrote this incredible poem, Afraid of what? To feel the Spirit's glad release? To pass from pain to perfect peace? The strife and strain of life to cease? Afraid of that? Afraid of what? Afraid to see the Savior's face, to hear His welcome and to trace the glory glean from wounds of grace? Afraid of that? Afraid of what? To enter into heaven's rest and yet to serve the, the master blessed from service good to service best? Afraid of that? Sometimes in our grief, we're afraid. I was moved by the post of Mindy Bell's she and her husband were instrumental in starting World Magazine, and her husband died in recent weeks. And she took a, a snippet from the Valley of Vision of Puritan Prayers, and she, she wrote online, I have cast my anchor in the port of peace, knowing that present and future, my present and future are in nail-pierced hands. Take away my sighs and fill my mouth with songs. And when I'm restored and rest in thee, give me summer weather in my heart. He does give new beginnings. He does give hope. And then Jesus gave a command to John. He told him to record what you've seen, the things that, that you've seen, record them. The things which are, there's a reference to the churches, uh, the letters to the seven churches, and then the things that would take place a prophetic vision of how all will come to completion with the coming of Jesus Christ. We need, we need visions like the Isle of Patmos presented to us and to remind us that our Lord is alive forevermore, that he's moving in this world and he is near and dear in the hearts of his people. Charles Swindoll once said, an out of, out of control world doesn't mean we serve an out of control God. And maybe you feel like your life is out of control right now for one reason or another, only to be brought to these wonderful promises that there's a living Savior who bids you to come to Him, who are weary and are heavy laden. There is victory in Jesus Christ to know Him and to love Him. So maybe this morning, your response, you need to respond to the gospel. You've heard it. You've heard it before. You have loved ones who are saying, hey, you need Christ, you need to come walk with the Lord and to give your life to him in repentance and faith, receiving what he did on the cross. Maybe that's, that's where you are this morning and you're here today to hear these familiar truths that maybe have been hit and miss in your life. Would you turn to him? He is here. He has promised to be where his people are, honoring his word. And may this Easter um, service, maybe you've attended out of nostalgia, but Maybe it would be a, a permanent connection to, to grow in the grace and knowledge of Christ. Maybe you've never been baptized. You saw two this morning, professor faith and baptism and an obedience to him. And maybe you are a believer and that's what needs to happen. And I, certainly I would say with every, every Christian, you need a church home. You need a place called home where you hear the word of God. You never find a Christian in the New Testament who's going so low. Uh, who's hit and miss. The idea is that we not 
forsake the assembling of ourselves and to say, I'm going to come. I'm going to come. Maybe this is really fighting a lot of internal struggles that you have. Um, and maybe you would say, I'm going to come. And I often give the three-month challenge. <laughs> 90-day challenge. Come be with us for three months. Come be with us for three months. You're visiting today. You don't have a church home. And you're open. Come be with us for three months. Listen to what is taught. Are they teaching me from the Bible? Secondly, are they pointing me to Jesus Christ as my greatest need? Are they pointing me to the cross? And then thirdly, do these people really love each other? We'll acknowledge we're not, we're not perfect by any means. He's still working on us. But there's room enough for your shortcomings too. So come on in and let God speak to you. Not in a hit-and-miss, drive-by type of experience, but, okay, yeah, I can do that. Three months. I can come to church for three months. God, speak to me. Speak to me. We close this service in a responding in faith. That means when the Word of God is opened, it calls us to obey Him. I don't know how the Lord has moved in your heart this morning, but He's alive forevermore, and that changes everything for us. And the call was to live for him. Would you bow with me in prayer? As John and the team come in these closing moments, he wants our heart. Would you give your heart to him, your life to him? Dear Lord, we pray in these closing moments that you would have your way with us that we would be surrendered people, a loving people, a joyful people, a hopeful people, all because of who you are in us. And may we sing your praises even when the days are hard, knowing that you're with us, for nothing can separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord. And it's in your mighty and majestic name we, I pray, amen. Let's stand together as we sing. If there are needs on your heart, you come.